This is Second Look. I'm Bob Levicky, WMRA's News Director. I'm grateful for your company on this last day of September. Stick around. We've got a look at Virginia's business climate. It, it may be losing ground relative to other states. In the meantime, researchers at UVA say they may have found a cure for macular degeneration. WMRA's Marguerite Gallerini has that story. We also revisit her report from last October about how Virginia schools are getting financial support to seek a more diverse population in STEM programs. And Jordi Yeager talks to educators and young people of color in Charlottesville to find out how after the summer of 2017's violence, many in the city are taking a look at some of the deeper problems at the root of our racial divisions. But first, today is the final day of the third annual Queen City Mischief and Magic Festival, originally known as a Potter Party before Warner Brothers cracked down. This huge wizardry fan event has taken on a life of its own. WMRE's Jesse Nadler has more on how it all came about. Baja Bean Restaurant is a Stanton institution. Its owner is Sarah Lynch. We opened in 98 and there was nothing going on really downtown. We were the only light on downtown after 9 o'clock at night because we've been open until 2 a.m. since we opened. Sarah Lynch is also an insatiable reader and a big Harry Potter fan. If I went to trivia, I don't know if I'd win, but it is so near and dear to my heart. Harry Potter came along when I was an adult. If I had read them when I was a child, I'm sure they would have been like Little House on the Prairie is for me. It eventually dawned on her. Some Stanton businesses were kind of like those featured in the books. The tiny clock shop on West Beverly reminded Sarah of Grimmauld Place. Baja Bean itself had sort of a Potter vibe to it. Baja, the bar, was very easily seen as the hogshead because it is a little seedy and there's some, you know, undercover dragon trading or whatever going on over there. Two years ago, she contacted Pufferbelly's toy store and asked if they wanted to join her in hosting a Queen City Potter party. It was to coincide with the release of the latest Potter spinoff, The Cursed Child. Before she knew it, 10 Stanton shops wanted to be included. She put the word out on Facebook, and more than 5,000 wannabe wizards from across the country descended on Stanton. Welcome to Queen City, mischief and magic. The downtown transforms into a magical village. People show up as their favorite Potter characters. Kids experiment with wand crafting and wizard dueling. People drink butter beer. It was just joy, you know? There was, like, just a sense of joy. Like, if if clouds could rain rainbows, I feel like that's how Stanton would have felt that day. Sophia Barada is an actor with the American Shakespeare Company. She volunteered last year to help sort kids into the various houses at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Harry Potter was a member of Gryffindor. Slytherin is sort of known as the villain house. I remember like really clearly actually this one kid who he got sorted into Slytherin and at first he was like really excited. He was like, oh, I'm Slytherin. And then his, his siblings were making fun of him and he almost started to cry. And so I was like, don't tease your brother for being in Slytherin. Slytherin's have really ambitious people, you know? There A lot of people are really smart that come out of there, and they go on to do really great things. So I listed a couple, like, good Slytherins so that he could be like, ha, huh, I'm a Slytherin, and it was really sweet in the end, and I, I gave him a lollipop because I had one or so. 
Sarah Lynch's Potter Party became so popular with fans that Warner Brothers, which owns the film rights to the Harry Potter movie series, got wind of it and asked her to comply with their guidelines for events involving Potter. So one month before last year's event, she changed the name to the Queen City Mischief and Magic Festival. It's already taken on a life of its own. They expect this weekend's attendance to hit 10,000. You can say, like, you can't be Harry Potter themed, and we can be like, okay, but we're going to have owls and brooms over here, and we're going to play this game that's kind of like Quidditch, but not exactly Quidditch. There will still be wands and spells and potions and costumes. Lynch says everyone should dress up come in their favorite costume. Uh, we've had owls and phoenix. We've had, you know, dragons, all kinds of creatures show up here. And just have your best day doing exactly what you want and come as early as you can because there will be lines for things. For WMRA News, I'm Jesse Nadler. Today is the last day of the Queen City Mischief and Magic Festival, but festivities continue into the evening tonight at 7. It's the Tri-Wizard Karaoke Tournament. You'll find links to more information at WMRA.org. Now on to some science news. Macular degeneration may not get as much attention as Alzheimer's disease or breast cancer, but nearly one-third of people over 80 are affected by it. One physician at the UVA School of Medicine says they may have found a cure. WMRA's Marguerite Gallerini reports. Macular degeneration is the leading cause of vision loss, affecting nearly 2 million Americans over 40, with 7 million more at risk of developing the disease, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. But actually, if you look at the number of patients with macular degeneration just in the United States, it dwarfs all the patients with Alzheimer's and most cancers combined. That number is projected to double over the next 15 years, says Dr. Jayakrishna Ambati, the director of the Center for Advanced Vision Science at UVA. So macular degeneration typically starts affecting people in their 50s and 60s. Up to a third of patients who are in their 80s and 90s have macular degeneration. So it's clearly an age-associated condition. And that's all the more alarming given the aging of our population. The so-called wet form of the disease, in which abnormal blood vessels break and leak fluid near the retina, can be treated. But the more common dry form, characterized by small deposits forming on the retina, still has no cure. And over time, it results in loss of vision. But Dr. Ambati and his team have worked on dry macular degeneration for the past 15 years, and it's starting to pay off. Over the last decade, our lab has actually made some very foundational discoveries, and we have identified what we believe are the culprits that cause the cells in the retina to die in dry macular degeneration. That's the reason why people lose their vision. So we have found that there is an accumulation of toxic substances, and those build up and kill the cells. And so now we have identified the precise mechanisms by which these toxic molecules are killing the cells, and we have also identified drugs that in various models can prevent this death. Clinical trials will begin soon, and if the drugs work, they should be approved within the next three to five years. For WMRA News, I'm Marguerite Gallerini. Meanwhile, it's been a tough year for many farmers in Virginia. First came torrential rains, then record heat, then more rain, and the tariff battle with China. And many farmers are struggling. Virginia Public Radio's Pamela D'Angelo reports that Virginia's northern neck is one region taking a hit. It's harvest time and farmers are navigating combines before the next rain. 
talk to any Tidewater farmer and they'll tell you farming is the lifeblood for rural communities that dot the shores of the Chesapeake Bay. Most grow corn and soybean mainly sold to Purdue. If you've ever picked up a farmer's almanac, you already know weather is everything to a farmer. P.J. Haney chairs the National Black Growers Council. He calls 2018 one for the record books. This spring, just after planting corn, we, we received some farms 8 to 10 to 13 inches of rain. Uh, a lot of the fertility just leached through the soil and, uh, you know, and we don't typically get rainfalls in the, as large amounts that we've, as we've had this year. Trent Jones, the local agricultural extension agent for Northumberland and Lancaster counties, says corn hates wet feet. Flooding for a period of time is okay, um, but corn roots do need oxygen in order to survive. So you're going to see a lot of, of dieback in those areas where you have ponding within the fields, which we did see this year as you were driving down the road. Um, you could see areas that were just drowned out, um, killed. Then it got dry and hot, record-breaking hot. Heat and moisture play a big part in actually filling this, this cob. Jones holds out two ears of corn about eight inches long. One is full with near-perfect rows of kernels. It's from last year when weather was just right. The other cob is from this year. It has rows of kernels that suddenly wither to nothing, two inches from the top. So because of the heat, lack of, of rain out there, that, that corn cob did not fill the majority of the of the end of the cob. Um, so you're losing yield there. Even before all the extreme weather, the president announced his retaliatory tariffs against China. Commodities are taking a big hit. We're looking at prices right now that certainly not what farmers want to see. Haney says it has a ripple effect from the companies that provide farming equipment to older farmers who are looking at retirement rather than taking on millions in loans, knowing the tariffs may have long-term effects on commodity prices. We've watched our soybean prices plummet over $2 a bushel in the last 90 days. As a farmer, we can't stand those type of hits. Farmers are going to have to really sharpen their pencils and, and do a lot more budgeting and projections for next year, uh, knowing that the prices have, have really suffered significantly. And weather and tariffs isn't just a Virginia problem. I, I text uh, friends across the country and just share what's happening in your area. From my friends in North Carolina who recently suffered the flooding down there. They're guys who've lost their whole corn crop fell over because of wind. Their cotton crop is underwater. You know, with the equipment costs as well as the production costs, farmers just can't take these type of hits and survive. Jones says crop yields were average, so it wasn't a terrible year. Still, the number of farms in the area were already declining, and more farmers are considering leaving their fields. From Heathsville, I'm Pamela D'Angelo. One bright spot on the horizon may be the hemp industry in Virginia, and WMRA's Andrew Jenner will have the latest on that a little later this week. Since the summer of violent white supremacist rallies in Charlottesville in 2017, the city has since attempted to piece itself back together, realizing that deeper issues are also at play. In this story, one month after last August's so-called Unite the Right rally, WMRA's Jordi Yeager spoke with educators and teens about their reality. I honestly thought this was a wake-up call for us. Kimani Alexander was born and raised in Charlottesville. He's 20 years old and works in a grocery store in the city, stocking shelves. The violence of August 12th, he says, was horrible. But for the first time, 
he's seeing a chance at real change. We're seeing people from the community come out. It's good to see white people come out more than black people to, you know, show support because they have most of the voice, you know. So I think it's a huge wake-up call. It's an opportunity to tackle the problem and to address the problem if we have any chance to address the problem. So, Sitting in his family's living room with his mom on the front porch, I ask him, what is the problem? We need equality. Um, ethnicity shouldn't matter. It's no equality. It's no... It's just, it's hard to explain, man. And it is hard to explain, but people are trying. In the two city council meetings since August 12th, large crowds have pleaded with city government for more affordable housing, for racial equity in the foster care system, for greater police accountability with African Americans. Alexander and his peers say the city isn't designed for their success, and August 12th was a window into that reality. And I think white people around like here are starting to see that because it happened down here. Like you, you're realizing like it could happen to anyone, and I feel like white people need to be put in black people's shoes. Like if you was black, would you really want to chance it? Like your kid not coming home, or really be scared to send them to school? Inside city schools, a similar conversation is happening. Dr. Eric Irizarry is the principal of Charlottesville High School, home to more than 1,200 kids. Days after August 12th and weeks before the first day of class, Irizarry and his team lined up mental health counselors for students and teachers. We had a plan for kids that were in trauma immediately. We knew they were going to be in trauma. We identified the students that were involved uh, in the actual uh, incidents, whether it was the, um, the vehicle attack or any of the other attacks that occurred throughout the city. And, you know, we made sure we, we touched base with them. How are you doing? We're here for you. About two weeks in now, Irizarry said the healing's begun, and students and teachers are beginning to look at the long-term effects, stepping up, asking what can they do? How can they get involved? It's created an opportunity, a way to look deeper, he said. I think one of the unintended consequences of the events of August 12th is that it, it sparked a dialogue. I think some folks were, their eyes were open to some of the injustices that have been, um, that have happened in the past and some of those scars that haven't healed. And I think sometimes the perception is everything is everything is fine. Uh, and um, I, I think there's some citizens that would that would maybe argue that point. It's a great city, but we, we do have issues that we need to address. Um, we have some inequalities that we need to address. And um, our students are aware of that. Last week, the city school board held its first meeting since August 12th, and some of those inequalities were brought up. Former city councilor Dee Dee Smith presented board members with some recent data, detailing how about 60 city families requested to change schools last year, about half white, half black, but their approvals were not as equitable. If you were one of 33 requests to transfer a white child, you had a 98% chance of approval. But if you were one of 27 requests to transfer a black child, your chances dropped to about 50%. Lamia West is a 16-year-old senior at CHS. She's also a high school representative on the city school board. At last week's meeting, she nodded in agreement to the data. West has been in advanced classes since elementary. That's where it starts, she said. You find your group and you stay with it. Transferring schools allows for those groups to be more diverse and for more African-Americans to be in more advanced classes. And as I sit in my more advanced classes, I am one of few African-Americans that sit there with me. This is our chance to do better. This is a new era in which we can teach that Everyone has equal opportunities. It's not just set on paper, but there's proof. As everyone sits in this class and we see different types of faces, different different types of skin, and 
we're all learning together as a whole. Juan Diego Wade is a career counselor, a lifelong educator, and chairman of the Charlottesville School Board. Last week, he thanked Smith and West for raising the issues. Part of racism is certainly structural, he told me, but it's also deeply personal. It involves interactions between individuals, interactions that need changing one by one. But it takes time. Unfortunately, it didn't happen overnight, and the changes are not going to take place overnight. On the first day of school this year, Wade welcomed kids outside an elementary school. One father dropped his son off at first grade, but the youngster was unsure of where to go. So Wade, who's African-American, reached out his hand and offered to show him, and the boy, who's white, took it. I walked him down to his classroom, and we, he was t talking with me about how much he was looking forward to meeting his new teachers and his new friends, um, that he's ready. He is ready um, to start school, to start his life, to start the next 12 or 13 years of education. If he's ready, I'm ready. For WMRA News, I'm Jordy Yeager. Increasingly, Virginia schools are getting financial support to seek a more diverse population in STEM programs. Uh, STEM, of course, science, technology, engineering, and math. In Charlottesville, grants are funding a partnership between Piedmont Virginia Community College, the University of Virginia, and Buford Middle School to make that dream come true. WMRA's Marguerite Gallerini has this report from last October. Let's start with Piedmont Virginia Community College. Their goal is to use $170,000 in grant money to build a pipeline of underrepresented students in STEM programs. The money comes from the Virginia-North Carolina Alliance, a consortium of 12 institutions, including historically black colleges and universities. At least historically with this grant, it has been African Americans, Hispanic students, and Native Americans and Pacific Islanders. We're also looking to increase the number of women in the engineering degree as well. That's Joanna Bondrasek, a professor of biology and the college site coordinator for this grant. We have a lot of first-generation college students as well who don't fit the necessarily the demographic of, you know, traditionally underrepresented minorities. However, first-generation students of all backgrounds have generally a harder time making it through college than folks who have parents who went to college. And so I feel like all of this support has helped our students across the board. The grant allows PVCC to reinforce funding for more resources, such as tutors in a few core classes, take students to conferences, and build up their course called Science 299. So if a student is interested in transferring to a four-year school as a chemistry major, they would complete a chemistry capstone research project. Biology, physics, geology are offered as well. And so the students are designing and then implementing their own experiment, doing data analysis, and then at the end of the semester, they're presenting their work in a mini scientific conference that we hold on campus. This gives students a head start when they want to transfer to a four-year school such as the University of Virginia. UVA actually leads this project, funded by the National Science Foundation, and asks PVCC to join. It's a natural partner for us. Piedmont produces great students. We know that the majority of underrepresented students and women, in fact, start their educational careers at community colleges. John Gates Piedmont is the Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion in the School of Engineering and Applied Science at UVA. He says this kind of STEM funding really benefits the whole nation. We're in this real period of change in America. In 25 years from now, America will be majority-minority. 
The National Science Foundation and the Department of Defense have declared that the paucity of underrepresented scholars in engineering is, in fact, a national security threat to the nation. We are not producing enough uh, engineering scholars to meet the growing and more complex needs of our nation. To help meet those needs, UVA also recently received a $15 million grant from the Clark Foundation and was able to match it dollar for dollar to make a total of $30 million. Besides college, these grants are also helping to reach into secondary schools, including summer classes for high school students. We have a great partnership with Albemarle County uh, High School and the schools generally, as well as Charlottesville High Schools. We provide summer programs for high school students every summer and bring uh, quite a number onto grounds. I think last summer we had uh, over 100 underrepresented students uh, from the high schools, uh, both in Virginia and nationally here doing a study and research. We work in partnership with a middle school just around the corner from here that has a majority-minority population. That school is Buford Middle School. Engineering teacher Brandon Martin is a former UVA graduate student in systems engineering. I think engineering is an awesome opportunity for kids where they can not only just learn the content of engineering and science, but also how to learn and how to problem solve effectively and how to be resourceful uh, when they're given really challenging tasks. For WMRN News, I am Marguerite Gallerini. Support for WMRA's News and Information Fund, which makes our award-winning coverage possible, is provided by Bib and Dolly Frazier, Les and Johnny Grady, Klein May Realty, Eugene Stolzfus Architects, Joy Loving, Janet Tretner, Nancy Barber, Pam and Jim Huggins, an anonymous donor, and by a grant from a donor-advised fund of the Community Foundation, Harrisonburg and Rockingham County. The website, WMRA.org, is always available for you to learn more about all the stories you hear every day. That includes photos and hyperlinks you can follow to learn more. All the stories are archived at the website. To support local news on WMRA, go there, mouse over news, then click on News and Information Fund. And be sure to click like on Facebook at WMRA Public Radio. And follow me on Twitter at WMRA News to get the latest on our coverage. In the meantime, you can get a daily local news update on your smartphone every weekday morning. So subscribe to our news podcast. It's called the WMRA Daily. I'm Bob Levicky, WMRA's news director and morning edition host. I'll talk to you in the morning. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.